Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. Oh, shit. 
102.5 UMFM. This is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Alsen kicking things off for us tonight. English singer, songwriter, producer Sam Henshaw with It Won't Change featuring Maverick Sabre from his new record, Untidy Soul. I've got a very busy show for you and a special one. Uh, kicking off Black History Month uh, here at UMFM, or at least on Thank God It's Free Range, uh, in partnership with 99.3 County FM, which is a fellow campus and community radio station uh, located in Prince Edward County, Ontario. Uh, I'm going to be airing uh, a special program as part of Thank God It's Free Range uh, every week that is hosted by retired Senator Don Oliver. He was the first black man in the Canadian Senate, uh, a lawyer before that. Um, and he has a wide range of guests as his uh, interview subject over the course of the series. Uh, the first is uh, writer George Elliott Clark. Uh, we're going to get into that after our next musical selection. Uh, and then coming up a little later, I spoke to J.D. Ormond of Ultra Mega earlier this week about the new album Penis Angelicus. Uh, we got some, some great new music as well. Some new Arlo Parks, one of my favorite records of last year. Uh, was collapsed in sunbeams and she has a new single out so we'll be playing that uh, but before we get to that uh, Yasmin Williams uh, released the album Urban Driftwood last year uh, yesterday if you follow UMFM's Instagram we posted a, a series of uh, albums we recommended for Bandcamp Friday which is happening today runs until I believe it's 2 a.m our time uh, midnight Greenwich Mean Time, I think is how they calculate it. Uh, so there is still time to support artists. Uh, the site waives its own fees and all the money then goes uh, directly to the artists and labels. Uh, and Yasmin is a uh, independent artist, guitarist from the US who released a, a beautiful record last year. We're gonna hear Uvanescence. And then uh, we will get into the program with Senator Don Oliver. Um, we'll have more of that next week and, and every week throughout February. Uh, stick around here on 101.5 UMFM.
listening to The Grapevine on 99.3 County FM. I'm Lynn Pickering, and I am delighted that the Honorable Don Oliver, the first Black man to be named to the Senate of Canada, and the author of A Matter of Equality, The Life's Work of Senator Don Oliver, has agreed to co-host this segment of the show during Black History Month. He's invited a number of outstanding and accomplished guests to join us, and we begin with George Eliot Clark. He's a Canadian poet, playwright, and literary critic who served as Poet Laureate of Toronto from 2012 to 2015 and Canadian Parliamentary Poet Laureate 2016 to 2017. He's also known for chronicling the experience and history of the Black Canadian communities of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick, creating a cultural geography that he calls Africadia. And in a foreword to Senator Oliver's biography, he wrote, the lesson of Don Oliver's scintillating life is that equality is the prerequisite for the irradiating incarnation of excellence, like the birth of a supernova amid a cluster of equally brilliant stars. Well, over to you, Senator Oliver. Oh, thanks very much, Lynn. Hi, George. Hello, always Senator. Great, always great to have a chance to chat with you. It's exciting to hear your lucid words. They're always poetic. And today I have one big question for you, uh, which will have many associated parts as you will see. Over the last few years, in the 28 days of February, I think we've been failing Black Canadians of African descent by not helping Canadians, other Canadians, get into the soul of the Black man. Our approach has been regionally divided and somewhat superficial. Yes, we write essays, do research on projects about heroes in schools, put on displays of art, visual and performing in music and fashion, dance, books, poems, etc. But George, I want you today to be a futurist visionary, if there is such a thing, and guide us in some new expanded ways that we can break down the pernicious influence of white privilege and highlight the black soul during February and indeed throughout the year? Well, Don, if I may, that is a, a huge question, a daunting question. And given your expertise and experience in Canadian jurisprudence and political life and your activism around employment equity, especially as it relates to in, uh, visible minorities in Canada, the question that you ask goes to the very heart of the reason why, first of all, we have African Heritage Month, and secondly, why it remains so persistently, perniciously, incredibly difficult to truly engage all Canadians in a history that belongs to all of us. And I think that has a lot to do with a phrase, a terrible phrase, a horrible phrase. I hate writing it. I hate using it. And that is white supremacy or white supremacist. Both of those phrases are unfortunately vital to our understanding as to why Black Canadian history continues to be something that we have to struggle to draw attention to. And they have realized uh, for the fullness of our contribution to the Canadian journey towards a society that is truly reflective of equality and justice and truly allows equality of opportunity for everyone who is not descended from the so-called two founding peoples uh, coming from Europe, 
such a long way of saying, I don't, I'm not trying to be euphemistic or mealy-mouthed, and you asked me to look at the future, I think that we can only have a future that is going to be truly embracing of the contributions of everyone, uh, that acknowledges the beauty of our diversity, which we always talk about, but we don't actually, in my mind, actually embrace fully, especially in terms of providing opportunity and equal access to power, which of course is extremely essential in a democracy. I think that governments, educational institutions from all levels, from kindergarten to university, need to make an understanding of Black culture and Black history and the Black presence and Black humanity, a central core of their understandings and, and their projections of what it means to be human. I know that there are people who will say, but you know, you have African Heritage Month, well, we already have, we have postage stamps and, and we have <laughs> greeting cards and we have Kwanzaa, why on earth are you demanding more attention to be paid uh, to your community? And the reason why to answer that objection, and it's an understandable objection, but to answer it very quickly, it's because of the fact that despite more recent acknowledgement of some of the contributions that we and our ancestors have made to, to Canada, those contributions have remained, for the most part, overlooked and undervalued, which has allowed too many people to continue to think that, number one, Canada was always, excuse the phrase, a white man's country and nobody yeah. else's, and that uh, whatever contribution Black people made or have made is of absolutely no historical or social, political, economic consequence. In my view, and this is something I've been struggling with, I think the biggest problem facing Black people in Canada today is a lack of self-respect. And that self-respect is reflected into how you treat your fellow men and how you treat people in your community, in the Black community. And a number of people have written about it and talked about it and said, well, of course, this comes from old slavery days and the way that we were servient during slavery. And in Canada, we haven't gotten over it. We're very, very divided. And we're very divided in Nova Scotia. We once had 30 little communities, as you know, in Nova Scotia. And so what can be done in Black History Month to unite the Black community in Canada? Uh, that's another fundamental, vital question. It's hard to know where to start, except again, to go back to history. We have to understand that no matter what part of the African diaspora from where we may originate, all of us and our ancestors in particular, including recent new Canadians and so on, have a heritage of struggle against European colonization and imperialism, and of course, the transatlantic slave trade, which of course impacted those of us on this side of the Atlantic on Turtle Island uh, more directly than perhaps um, Africans themselves on the continent may have been impacted, although of course the transatlantic slave trade damaged their cultures and, and, and incipient nations as much as it harmed us. But at least uh, in terms of, of, of those uh, nations in Africa, to a certain extent, the colonies that then became nations in the Caribbean and so forth, they at least had the advantage of having black majority cultures. And again, I'm answering your difficult question in a very long, I hope not mealy mouth way. What I'm really trying to get at 
is that coming from all over the world, as we do in the Canadian version of the African diaspora, we come together in Canada from a multiplicity of backgrounds, which is actually terrific. I think it's great that we are not one monolithic group of black people, which tends to be the case. And I love my African-American brethren and sisters. And in fact, Don, your and my ancestors, as, as much as anybody, it is true that they have a greater tendency to speak as one and act as one because they have a history of being treated as one. Whereas those of us in Canada coming from all over the African diaspora have a history of different experiences, different languages, different ethnicities, different national ideologies, or a sense of belonging to various different African and Caribbean and even South American states and from America itself, that coming to Canada, it's much harder for us to, to find naturally degrees of unity. And that's also partly because of where we are. Canada is a monarchy, uh, uh, quite obviously so. But then that has a certain impact on social structures. Because we're not a republic like Haiti, like Jamaica, like the United States, and so on, we don't actually have a firm ideology that is truly egalitarian. Our ideology, fundamentally, is one of hierarchy. And the Canadian society, as you know, Don, and thanks to the research of the sociologist John Porter, is structured in, an, in even an ethnic hierarchy, ethnic and racial and linguistic and regional. This is Canada. We can't forget the regional factor. And so we have all these competing hierarchies, if you like, in a sense. And so that makes it more difficult for bilingual Haitian descended mm. doctor in Montreal to feel that he or she has very much in common with the struggling, a working class, perhaps unemployed person in Sudbury or Halifax who happens to be of historical uh, uh, provenance in Canada, having gener roots going back generations, and may not quite understand their or our struggles and so on, and vice versa. Uh, similarly, uh, if there's a, unfortunately, uh, a violent incident involving law enforcement, it may be difficult for folks in Vancouver to rally to support folks in Halifax or in Toronto or in Montreal. Compared to other communities that make up Canada, if they live in Newfoundland or in British Columbia, what is it that they have that we don't have? Now, I like your explanation that we come from many, many different countries. The people, who, the Black people who make up Canada today and the people who, who are Canadians of African descent today came from the West Indies, came from Europe, came from South America. We, we came from all over. Are you saying that that's not the case with so many other ethnic groups in Canada? Well, most of them, as, you, as you've pointed out, uh, Don, come from situations where for the most part, they are speaking the same language. That makes a big difference. For instance, you look at the Somalian Canadian, Eritrean Can Canadian, Ethiopian yeah. Canadian communities, they do have the benefit of sharing for the most part, often the same religious orientation and the same language. That makes it easier mm -hmm. uh, for them to act as one group. Unfortunately, for those of us who, who come from English or French speaking traditions, uh, polities, cultures, coming to Canada, there's a less ability for us to, to be able to hive ourselves off 
uh, and to and to adopt a, a helpful degree of insularity. I'm not talking about segregation. I'm talking about being able to be solidly together because we share certain cultural attributes which do demarcate us beyond melanin, beyond skin color, from the majority populations that we find ourselves among. Rousseau used to teach us what we do when you're kind of on the horns of a dilemma like we are with, with, with this problem. And one of the things he said is you look for, for the common enemy, what's in common. And here, our common enemy as people of African descent in Canada today remains racism. Is there any way that Black History Month could help us get united under racism, for example? Uh, earlier, you used a wonderful phrase. You said, they've got to acknowledge the beauty of our diversity. And maybe our diversity might help as well in uniting us. Don, as always, you're just giving me like all these seriously heavy duty, difficult questions and so on. <laughs> That's all right, Mr. Senator. Um, <laughs> And, you know, of course, you, you've identified a, a big problem, but it, it is in terms, of, in terms of our unity. Look, it, it's so wonderful that Mikhail Jean has had the vision to create the Federation of Black Canadians. That mm -hmm. is so important. And I love the work that the Federation is doing. And it's, it's very late in arrival, but it's also right on time. We need those kinds of organizations to help bridge our ethnic, regional, linguistic, religious, and class differences so that we can speak as one voice. And I am very happy that the Federation of Black Canadians has been able to address the federal government, provincial governments, municipal governments on our behalf. So I think that's been a godsend and we actually need more of that. George, I'd like to go back to the arts if I could. At the beginning, it, it seemed like I was downplaying them and say, you know, we, we read books, read poems, do, do dances, sing songs and so on. But what in the month of February, Black History Month, could we be doing with the arts that might strengthen them and might, 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 might lead other Canadians more to the soul of the Black man? When you say that a chill goes down my spine, it's not just because we're in winter, Don. <laughs> it's because it, it's, so, it's so stimulating and exciting and, and stirring. One of the great things that we could all be doing during Black History Month is not pretending that Black history or Black culture just arrived in Canada <laughs> last year or last decade or last century. We've been here for a while and we have created across the country in significant pockets, different forms of African diasporic Canadian culture. And, uh -huh. that, and that it's important for us to remember the trailblazers, even if they were not celebrated in their time. We can celebrate them now, and we should. I think it's really important that uh, that uh, we remember people like Portia White, who we'll be talking about another in another show. But also, what about the fabulous Bohe brothers of St. John, New Brunswick? And some folks in the in our audience may say, "Who were they?" These were the guys, two brothers, who popularized the banjo. They were the yeah. first black people to be recorded by Thomas Alvin Edison on a very new invention called the phonograph. They were the first black voices and performers recorded by Edison. They were world famous. They, they appeared before Queen Victoria. They toured Europe. And in fact, 
if there's anybody in the audience who does not like country music, you have to blame the Bogie Brothers. Because by popularizing the banjo, they also made it possible for this new form of popular music called country and western to begin to rise in popularity. We need to rediscover these people. Just last year, an American scholar informed me of a gentleman whose, uh, whose surname is, is Hartley, uh, who is actually from the Caribbean originally, and in 1895, he published a book of poetry in Amherst, Nova Scotia, that was translations from Latin and Greek. You know, and that's not just only one early writer we can talk about. We can talk about uh, one of the first black Canadian uh, uh, lawyers, Abraham Beverly Walker, who started one of the first literary magazines in English Canada called Neith, which was named for an Egyptian goddess, Neith, N-E-I-T-H. You know, I look back at that period of time and scholars are starting to look at it now, but in the early 20th century in, in New Brunswick and in Nova Scotia, there was a small, intense group of men and women who were part of that of an intellectual crowd who were regularly publishing, putting on plays, doing their quotations from Virgil and their quotations <laughs> from Horace, and, and of course, preaching, and who came together eventually creating institutions like uh, the former Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children and, uh, and ideas of, of potential black consciousness. In fact, uh, as, you, uh, as you know, our relative, Reverend Captain Dr. William Andrew White, preached a sermon on race consciousness in 1922. That's, that's before Marcus Garvey. George, in closing, I, I would like to hear your words on uh, things that you would like to see about the possibility of making not just February Black History Month, but making Black History Month something that goes on for 365 days a year. So these stories can be told in perpetuity. Don, I think that uh, in every sphere, uh, every field of endeavor uh, in which Canadians engage, there are stories involving Black people either today or yesterday that we all need to know. For instance, uh, you know the book Black Ice. The possibility that the slap shot, such an essential part of hockey, such an exciting part of hockey, may have come from Africville uh, <laughs> or, the, or the Maritime Colored Hockey League, right? Yeah. And for those who think, oh, no, that couldn't be possible. Well, I'd like to ask those folks to think of the three-point shot, the three-point throw in basketball and the elegance of that particular uh, attempt to sink a basket from far across the other end of the court. The slap shot does the same thing, except it's on, it's on the ground. So if we can think of the three-point throw as coming from uh, black culture, well, the slap shot makes sense <laughs> as coming from black culture too. George, I leave the floor to you to sum up this uh, conversation and Black History Month and really what, what it means to you. Well, Don, as we are speaking, you and I, I see uh, behind you your brand new book. I, I remember that you also published a book that said men can cook too. Very, <laughs> very important. But here's a matter of equality, the life's work of Senator Don Oliver. And I think it's a wonderful uh, addition to the uh, slowly expanding library of memoirs about and biographies, autobiographies about Black Canadians. So to sum up, it's a time to recognize 
how our fellow citizens who happen to be of African uh, descent, Black African descent, to be really precise, have contributed to the growth of this country, who have fought uh, strenuously for enhanced uh, civil rights and human rights right here at home, and have been instrumental in expanding notions of anti-racism, uh, anti-sexism, anti-homophobia, pro-Indigenous uh, activism. And it behooves all of us, all citizens of Canada, to recognize all of these personages who have enhanced our culture. I think that when you really look at Black Canadian history, what you find are not examples of inferiority, but examples of unexpected capability, triumph in excellence. George, thank you very, very much. As usual, you've been excellent. It's been a great privilege. Thank you, Don. That was my co-host for Black History Month, Senator Don Oliver, in conversation with George Eliot Clark. Next week, they celebrate the life of Contralto Portia White, Senator Oliver's aunt and George's great aunt, who, although she performed in concert halls around the world, was refused accommodation in a hotel in her home province of Nova Scotia.
parks with softly before that jasmine uh just jasmine j-a-s-m-y-n formerly of the band weaves out of toronto with a new single called crystal ball and uh before that of course the interview program featuring senator don oliver and george elliott clark again that is courtesy of fellow campus community radio station 99.3 county fm in prince edward county ontario and that segment will be back next week. Coming up in our next segment, my interview with J.D. Ormond of Ultra Mega talking about the new album, Panis Angelicus. But before we get to that, from the new album, Get a Good Look, this is Sports with Can't Be What You Think.
All right. Well, Ultra Mega is back. The album is called Panis Angelicus, already charting here at UMFM and uh, here to talk about it, J.D. Armand. Welcome back to the show, J.D. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to talk to you about this record because, uh, I mean, it's, it's an Ultra Mega record, uh, you know, but it's kind of a solo effort. Yeah, it's... Um it's uh yeah a bit of both of those things it's still definitely an ultra mega in essence but um and there were some some ultra mega players on it uh but yeah it was a solo solo project um sort of created with the idea of making soundscapes um initially that i would have conversations with people that i would kind of like um cut and edit over top of the of the music mm. it was actually supposed to be a sunshine band album um firstly right and so what i did was i i yeah at the sunshine house i i, I tracked a bunch of kind of like loose little jam jammy jingles and then i interviewed people kind of not really interviewed i just kind of brought people into a room and had just conversations with them and then I edited it and put it over top and it sounded cool, but it my my recording, something went wrong with my recording um, and it was really clippy. So I just wanted to redo everything again. So I went to my friend, um, uh, Jesse Reimer and um, just who, who's a recording engineer. I was like, Jesse, can you just, can we just do all this again? Um, just with better sound quality basically. So, mm-hmm. We started to track the tunes again and um, sort of in the process of it, we just started really liking the, we started really liking the tunes and the the music. And then it occurred to me that I should maybe approach this as more like a kind of a storytelling uh, saga, um, you know, tell a kind of a linear story from my perspective. Um, so I kind of lost the, the, the interview component of it and I, you know, I began to kind of like look and search around for a, for a voice and a, a story, you know? Right. So, you know, it was very much, yeah, about, and, and that was a very, that was a huge challenge because the music came really quickly, but the, you know, the lyrics or the, yeah, the, the voice of it took a while to find. So, yeah. But, so f- figuring out that voice then, like you say, it took, took a while to find, like, is it just, like there's a frequency that that music's operating at and it kind of has to have like a harmonic resonance to, to fit. Right. Like, or like, do do you find you're trying to like force a specific voice and it's just not like natural? Well, well, the, the, the songs, well, uh, probably five of the seven songs are like these kind of just more soundscapey things. And so like, I was trying to fit in lyrical patterns, I guess, into them, but so that's that's one thing that I was trying to do, but also I was really trying to just, in, for me, just in, use the music to um, pursue, I guess, pursue uh, the sort of initial response of of being outside and being in the world. Like, like I, I initially I was like, I'm just gonna the the, the album is going to be completely um like time linear like i literally like start the album by saying like a uh a warm sun 
greets me out the back door. So that's like the first thing. And it's like, that's, that was exactly what was happening. And then I was, it was going to be in real time, basically. The, right. the, the album's like 23 minutes and I really wanted it to be like me walking out the back door, out my back lane, up the back lane, hanging her right on Sergeant, going, you know, um, but, and, and, and the kind of like the, the visceral, raw, real experiences of what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing. So right. like basically being an open vessel for, for communication, but that was very challenging. Like, you know, to, to like have to, to be speaking in a, in a, in a sort of a, a direct clear voice um, that is unedited was like, you know, that's how I approached it, but that's not really how it ended up because, you know, you have to inevitably like doctor some of the things that you're saying or, or do edited things. So yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. Well, it does actually lead to another question in terms of like saying doctoring things or like speaking in a, in a clear, direct voice, like as a songwriter, you know, obviously, you know, you take first pass at lyrics, but very often you're editing them or, you know, changing some words to kind of better get the message across or, or tell the story more fully. If you're trying to be direct, like, are you editing in your own head before you put pen to paper? Um, well, I did a lot of like this kind of stream of consciousness writing. Um, and then, yeah, like I, yeah, it's, it's, that, that's why I was taking, taking a lot of walks because I, my mind would wander and then it would just kind of graft onto an idea. And I, I think that initially those oftentimes those were more stimulating those ideas that you had when you when I wasn't sitting in front of a, a with a pen and paper like the ideas that you just have when you're out and about and things that when your mind is kind of relaxed and not focused on you know like oh got to put some great stuff down I think that's that's when that's those were the kind of like topics that I wanted to um to have so it'd be like just me kind of like walking down sergeant and seeing like you know the sort of yeah just the, the visual components of, of of the neighborhood that was like pretty interesting and the, the sort of combination of of structures and the physical prop physical objects around you know that's just kind of and how does a how did I kind of interact with them and, and see them and I don't know it's it's pretty vague like it's a it's almost abstract in, in, a, in a way sounds you like know, a bit of a a yeah. meditative practice yeah because right? like in but... meditation you're supposed to kind of like if a thought comes into your head you're supposed to acknowledge it and take note of it but then kind of set it aside but you're not like seeking out specific thoughts mm -hmm. yeah no i liked to have to at least achieve a, a state of just kind of not pressuring my my not pressuring any perspective you know not forcing anything because as soon as i feel that as soon as anything becomes forced it's like it loses its its um, um, sort of naturalness or like authenticity, maybe, or, or you know. And I think that I yeah, I just tried I I tried to like communicate what I saw and was what I was experiencing in a kind of real, real tone. Um, so it's kind of like a very meandering kind of voice that that exists over the over the music, which is kind of the. The nature of my of my walks they would just be 
you know, random directions and, you mm-hmm. know, just deciding to go left and, you know, this take this alleyway. And I would end up like often like behind Garbage Hill in the kind of industrial area, like into like between, you know, in, into like St. James and, you know, or into the North End and, you know, taking random alley walks. So, you know, I just had all this time to, to kind of like, to, to find something that's stimulating about, about where, where I was physically. Yeah. So the, the videos that came out to accompany the, the record then, like, was that an attempt to kind of like recapture that? Yeah, that it would definitely was. Yes. Like, so I was having a, you know, I was just like, I had all this, all these notes just, just like cluttered up and um, I was having a hard time like putting them. Yeah. Still putting them down. So, so my friend, Matt purchase, who's shot a few videos with ultra mega and, and the sunshine band. And he's always down for a, uh, uh, you know, an irreverent romp through wherever we want to go. And, you know, so I was like, Matt, you got to come follow me through the West end. I don't know where I'm going. Just like, this is just kind of what I do. Um, just follow me with the camera and we'll shoot whatever, just, just the odd nonsense. And we'll, uh, and then I want to see it. I want to see the visuals. So I, I basically was one, I, I just ended up basing my, the, the lyrics of the album off of the video that we, we shot. It's like, okay, so we went here, we went to XQs, we went to the pawn shop. Uh, I visited my friend, Andrew. Um, you know, and so I kind of like loosely, and that, that helped to structure the, that helped to structure the lyrics a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I didn't actually have anything until we shot the video too. Like that's how kind of spaced out I was, <laughs> you know? So I needed, I needed the, uh, I needed the visual components to, to, to help with the, to help actually put the, put the words down. In the past, in terms of writing, like, did you, like visualize a story when you would write lyrics like is that something where like something would be in your head and then now like you've kind of externalized that with Matt like that you've got the video of it yeah yeah it's I don't know I think with with Matt it just I think what 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 we tried to do with the videos is just like kind of show that the the sort of random uh, wandering nature of of um some of the some of the things that I try and do to, to make music or like, I, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's often, a, it's, it's often about a place like songs for ultra mega are often about, I feel like they're about like specific areas, specific, you know, f- you know, intersections of, of the city. And a lot of it, it is about Winnipeg, but it's done, but it's communicated in a little more of an abstract, abstract way. You know, I do occasionally make references, direct references to the, uh, you know, to the, to the streets. Actually, in, in this record, I, you know, I talk about like Garbage Hill and being on Sergeant and Victor. And so I, I do, I do name drop, but I definitely like to, I don't know, talk about the, uh, the sort of um, ethereal nature of like the, the physical area you know, not, not directly saying, uh, you know, this tree in front of my house on my mother's house or whatever, but just, but still kind of trying to find a way to communicate that tree in front of the house, you know, does the attempt to 
crystallize like an ethereal thing present like like a creative challenge or is it like just like kind of satisfying to fix something in place when it feels ambiguous to you i definitely feel it's a creative challenge that i like to attempt to uh pursue for sure um yes i know i'm getting like weird and and in abstract i suppose but like it's uh i'll go there with you let's let's it's 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 definitely just like i don't know I, i think that for for the some of the music that i like i you know i've always liked more certainly more more i don't know not, not just to say abstract but like i like i like you know how kurt cobain wrote songs it was like just these great emotional feelings of like but he wasn't really saying you know anything too directly it was or you know uh how the Pixies wrote lyrics. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, it's for me, it's more satisfying to, 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 to communicate something that's um, in, in a, a, a non-direct way, I guess that's hmm. to simply so, put, I guess. So in, in those kinds of circumstances, like, do you have an idea of how, you know, when you're done? when you've communicated that or like yeah I, I feel like when there's enough there's enough of a balance of the odd like <laughs> odd elements or the the sentences or they just fit right and it's just like all right that's uh that's a piece and you know and then you can I, I think that that's when I would I just look at it as maybe like a like a poem you know if you could fit a poem into a song with you know over the chords and then but but no i honestly i i can't really can't really say i think that like for for this last record it was uh i was like trying to fit patterns into the music and i i I already had the i already had the music recorded and it was just kind of like kind of like run on like the music just kind of like some of the songs are just like kind of these run-on tunes that don't have much of a structure so i had to like fit the words in but um no it was it was uh yeah i don't know it was like they just they just sat they just sat without anything like sticking out too uh too annoyingly so i was like it's fine it's done you know for sure so the the sunshine band like conversations idea is that still something kind of you back pocketed for now and might revisit then yeah i have i have a bunch of recordings of of me chatting with people and um eventually perhaps it would be nice to 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 bring those out and um yeah just like talking to people about like what they like about the particular coffee that they're drinking or like you know, was it a, was it windy when they were walking to the sunshine house and just random things, but their voices are just, the voices are awesome. You know, mm. these are some real, real raw voices off the, off the streets. So it's like, it's, it's pretty cool. I have this, uh, yeah, a lot of these recorded interviews with people. It's sweet. <laughs> well, we'll look for that on the horizon. Uh, in the meantime, I want to get you to pick a track off Panis Angelicus. We can play for folks. If you have a reason why you're picking that song in particular, I'd love to hear it. Mm. 
maybe just the first song, which is called Goodbye Felicia, which is, mm, I guess it's just about uh, hauling my mattress out of my house to put it into the, to put next to the dumpster. And uh, it's, uh, and you won't really know that by listening to the tune. But <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Uh, well, JD, thanks very much for taking some time to talk about the record and congrats on its release, man. Yeah, thanks a lot, Michael. I know I was just kind of rambling, but I guess that's just uh, the that's, nature of the album. <laughs> ex, ex, that's, that's, that's the album in the nutshell, right? That's the video series and everything. It's a, it's a ramble, and there's nothing it wrong with a ramble these days. Yeah, it's, it's a ramble for sure, man. Well, and so thanks for, uh, thanks for trying to get me to put that, those rambling thoughts into uh, some clear order, which I didn't, but, you know, hey, okay. you'll have to listen to the record. Warm sun greets me as I step out my back door. In an instant, I'm overheating. Pants are just a little bit short. Tug at them and they bunch up my briefs. If I was a bird, I'd fly off the back deck. What if I got hurt? So I decide to use the steps. I'm slipping in a hole in my lawn. I look around to see if anyone's seen me. I open up my mouth for a yawn. I'm hoping that it inspires a real one. Real estate sign blowing in the breeze. The agent is smiling, but someone's blackened out his teeth. I lift up the latch from the latch. Follow the cracks in the cement. Lift up the trash into the trash. Close the lid and I say goodbye, Felicia.
told you once, I told you then You know you're my true best friend If we fall in love again Let's give our girl your name God help us if it happens soon So much time we've yet to lose To meet with our demise Or get out of the game Dip below the greater lakes Windy city cold or shake You get that weather off my face I wanna smile but in truth Duck on down the yellow stone Wild sage, the bison roam In rolling fog, the valley's grown A wild yellow hue I told you once, I told you then You know you're my true best friend If we fall in love again Let's give our girl your name God help us if it happens soon So much time we've yet to lose To meet with our demise Oh, get out of the game Get out of the game Somewhere down the line we made a promise that no pain or money would change anything Emerald City shining gate I told you then, you and I make quite a pair If she gets your golden hair, let's give our girl your name God help us if it happens soon So much time we've yet to lose To meet with our demise Forget it Can't stay Where the rent checks come from These days Here's to you You're good to pay You always spot me cash Best that I be getting on Tank is full And the bites are on You're a big fish I'm a prawn You're kind to let me splash I told you once I told you then You know you're my true best friend If we fall in love again Let's give a girl your name God help us if it happens soon So much time we've yet to lose To meet with our demise And get out of the game Somewhere down the line We made a promise that no pain Or money would change anything Get out of the game Somewhere down the line We made a promise that no pain 
Love the smell the gas just waiting I know I shouldn't breathe it in But I do anyway See the lights now that I'm getting to the city Drifting in thrift stores I see something pretty See a jacket I'd wear Till I gave it to you I'm not your lover I'm not your Dogwood in the summer air Kentucky grass Wishing that you were there With your hand on my knee With your hand on my shoulder Where you wanted to be I'm not your lover your lover
Don't forget your precious. I forget sometimes. I forget that, that I'm precious. Don't do it. Don't forget your precious. I remember my pin. I remember the German word for cow. 